listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Now, we're in Psalm 121, like I mentioned. So if you have a Bible or have access to one, feel free to join there with me. Um, when, when I was a kid, I remember before we left on a road trip, uh, after we had packed our early model Ford Aerostar, a red Ford Aerostar, anybody, anybody have that van or remember seeing that van? Um, side note on that, uh, recently, our, one of our van doors stopped working. You cannot open that thing manually, automatically, nothing. And my wife was convinced, I love you, um, that it was a safety hazard because one of our doors wouldn't open. And I was telling her, when I was a kid, we only had one door. So this has to be okay, right? Right? Okay. Anyways, you're like, I'm not going against Dory. And I understand, understandably, nobody said, yeah, you're right, Chris. Uh, but anyways, we would pack that early model Ford Aerostar and we would have a blast on that road trip. But I remember so vividly that dad would always stop as soon as we all got into the car before he cranked it up and he would just say, let's pray. And interestingly enough, I don't remember praying that often as a child apart from the dinner table. We always prayed before we left on a trip though. And as I look back, it was such a special time. For our family, before we set out upon a trip to just reorient our hearts and minds around the fact that God, if anyone was going to be able to keep us safe and give us traveling mercy, it was only going to be the Lord. And we were able to do that before we headed out on a trip. And thinking about it as well, we must have believed that because mom and dad would remove that middle row in the Ford Aerostar. They'd make us a nice paddle for me and my sister. Our littlest hadn't come around in those years. And we would just play all the way down to Florida in that pallet on the floor. So we really believed that God was indeed going to protect us. So as we approach Psalm 121 this morning, I want us to think this is a traveling psalm. It's a traveling psalm. Some people refer to it as a pilgrim's psalm. It's referred to in the Bible as a psalm of ascent. Psalms chapter 120 verse, uh, through chapter 134 are in the category that is known as the psalm of ascent. They would be sung by the Hebrew people as they were traveling up towards the city of Jerusalem three times a year for the feasts that God told them to take part in. The Passover would be in the spring, Pentecost would have taken place in the early summer, and then tabernacles would have happened in the fall. So as we hear and read Psalm 121, I want you to think of this as almost like a travel playlist. Because the song would have been rehearsed together, back and forth by the Hebrew people. I'm not going to ask us to sing it, but I, love, I would love for us as the people of God to read that together out loud. Would you do that with me at this time? Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. As we read that together, would you consider the sounds that you just heard from young and old, male and female, that we were able to rehearse the great truths of the Bible, rehearse the great truths of the character of God together. Friends and family members, the Hebrew people would have sang this together as they ascended to the hill that is Jerusalem. And each of them would have come to it or headed to Jerusalem with different life experiences. As you say, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my keeper. As we rehearse those great truths, each of you come at it with different life experiences. Do we not? The many ways in which God has even sent you on the journey of life this past week, or think about the last several years, the journeys that God has taken you on. We each approach these verses with different life experiences. When you say, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth, it may evoke in you a memory of divine help when you needed it most. It may make you think that the Lord right now is an ever-present help in a really dark and difficult time. For others of you, it could be that it's something yet to be tested, although you rehearse it with the family of God. Perhaps you've never been through something incredibly difficult. And while you speak it by faith, you've, you've yet to taste and see and yet here we are together, right? The family of God gathered on a Sunday morning so that we could learn about who God is, that we would hear of his great love and care and protection for us. And we're all asking the same question, regardless of the journey that God in his great sovereignty has put us on. And we ask the question together from where does my help come from? Where is my help going to come from? Psalm 121 reorients God's people around the Lord himself to himself to remember his constant care and help. That's what this psalm is to do for us today. And in it, we're given two truths about the Lord. The first is this, simple enough. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. What a great truth. Verse one and two, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, in this context, in the ancient Near East, the hills were often considered to be a harbor for criminals, a place where robbers would often hide out in the brush. They were a place as though someone were to be traveling to look at and say, this is causing me great anxiety as I lift up my eyes to the hills. They brought anxiety, but also what was at the top of the hill? 
Jerusalem. So you look to the hills and you think, this is really difficult ahead of me, and yet at the top is Jerusalem. It is a place of worship. It is where we can, as the people of God, worship him together. So they were literally, the hills were mountains of concern, but also they were mountains of wonder and great anticipation. Now, we don't know exactly what the psalmist was thinking when he penned these words, I lift my eyes up to the hills, but we certainly know both of those things are true. There were robbers up in those hills and at the top of them would be met with great anticipation and wonder. But what is clear in this passage and clear for you and I as well is that we all need help. We all need help. And as the psalmist looks to the mountains, as his eye is fixed upwards, it's clear that the mountain is not that. We need to go up higher, don't we? We need to look up even further. I must get my eyes up higher. Last week, I walked over to the the park near our house with my kids And there was a a young child there with his mother and it seemed like he was relatively new to walking. And so every few steps, the kid would just fall over. And every single time he'd fall over and he'd make a noise and his mom kept saying, up, up, up. He'd make him a few more steps and fall down and she'd say, up, 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 up. I couldn't get that out of my head all week. And I think that that's what the Psalm is meant to show us. When the cares of life are weighing us down, when we find ourselves in a spot where there seems nowhere else to turn, when we begin to scan the mountains around us for some sort of relief and only wind up with greater anxieties before us, up, up, up is what the Psalm is attempting to get us to do. Up, up, up. Many of you, as I considered this pastorally, in the context of our church, are caring for aging parents. And as you do, I realize that that comes with tremendous blessing because that means that mom or dad or perhaps both parents are still living and what a tremendous blessing it is to have parents live a long life and also it comes with great anxiety as I've heard many of your stories. Great anxiety, where will the finances come from? Can I continue to provide at this level of care for the next year, another five? Where does my help come from? We begin to scan. Is my help going to come from there? Is my help going to come from here? Is my help going to come from here? And all of a sudden, we must think up, up, up. Others of you are navigating child rearing and child bearing. Do all parents have it this hard? Is my child exceptionally difficult? Will I ever get pregnant? Why is my pregnancy so challenging? How can we feed another mouth? My spouse seems so distant to where we used to be. Is it me? We begin to scan. Is my help going to come from that source? 
Is my help going to come from this source? Where is my help going to come from? And the psalm reorients us to say, up, up, up. Young person, you may be tempted to think, who am I? Why am I having such a difficult time making friends? Why am I having such a difficult time with math? Why can't I have a phone like other kids my age? Young people, you begin to scan as well. Will my help come from there? Where will my help come from? And the psalm yet again reorients us up, up, up. The psalm gives us a resounding answer. And it is this, say it with me. My help comes from the Lord. That's where our help comes from, family. My help comes from Jehovah, Yahweh God, the God who literally begins his word to all of humanity with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the God, Jehovah, who's mentioned in this passage five times. This isn't help from Baal or any other ancient pagan gods. It's not help that comes from money or stuff or a different place in life. It's not help that comes from better help in this earth. It's not help that comes from better, deeper friendship. It's not help that comes from a politician or a child even. This is help that comes from creator God who made heaven and the earth, the God who the Bible testifies to. So before we move on, the question that you may be asking, whether you're a non-Christian who would say the answer to this question might really solidify some of the questions that I've had. It might really solidify my belief in Christ and his resurrection. Or the question that you and I as Christians might often ask and wrestle with is, what is the very help that the Lord provides? We can ask the question, we can rehearse the biblical answer, but if you and I were to be honest, in those dark times, we are really wondering what exactly is the help that God gives? Maybe you say, I have asked the Lord for so long to remove this debilitating pain. I've asked the Lord for so long to bring me a spouse or to help with this great ache in my heart and I'm still waiting. So how does the Lord help us? Here are just a few ways. The first is this, God is helping us by using all things for our good. That verse that you might be very familiar with, Romans chapter eight, verse 28, it gives confidence for the Christian that God is literally using how many things? All things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So you say, hey, it doesn't seem like God is using this circumstance because it doesn't feel very good. God is using all things good or bad 
to bring about great good in your life. God is helping you by using every single situation, good or bad, in your life. Second, God is supplying us, again, a verse that we're familiar with. He's supplying us with new morning mercies every single day. You and I woke up with life and breath. You and I have likely already sinned in a myriad of ways. We've already looked elsewhere for help. We drove in on a van that doesn't have a door that is working. I thought my help might come in a new vehicle, but it won't, will it? God has supplied us with new morning mercies today. That Jesus Christ in my sin, in your sin, has advocated before our heavenly father on your behalf, on my behalf, this very day, he's helping you. He's helping you. God is providing you. We see in Matthew chapter six in the sermon on the mount of his great provision for you. He cares for you. If he cares for the sparrows, how much more does he care for you, child? God has given you his, his helper. He's given you, Christian, his very presence. You say, new morning mercy, it's not enough. Daily provision, it's not enough. Working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, not enough. Christian, he's given you his very self, his presence. He's indwelt you with his spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to every single person who believe in Christ Jesus by faith. Jesus even says before he ascended into heaven that he was not going to leave them as before. In fact, they were going to be able to do even greater things. Why? Because Jesus was no longer going to be walking beside them, but his very presence was going to be indwelling them. And that promise is good for you and me today. He would indwell them. The question that you and I must ask is this, what if the help you've been hoping for isn't the help you need? Could that be the case? You keep scanning because you're looking for a hope that the Lord isn't providing. And he says, I've given you, child, my very self. What more do you need? In my backyard, we have a really good climbing tree. And it has steps that have been nailed up to a point. And sometimes the kids get out there and they start climbing as far as they possibly can. And then from in the kitchen where we can see this tree, I start hearing voices, help, help. I know the drill. The Moors lived in a house before me. Maybe you heard the same helps. Help, help. And I go out there and I quickly find out that what my children need most is not the help that they've been looking for. It's not the help that they think they need. It is just that I would stand right beside them and tell them that is going to be okay. And I begin to say, you can take that next step. The help that they thought they need is not the help that they were hoping for. The help that they needed was just dad's assurance. 
of being beside them, of coaching them to take the next step. You and I, Christian, we just need to know that the Lord is going to be with us and that by faith, we can take the next step, right? By faith, we can take the next step. Christian, I would ask, if you're having a difficult time resting in the help that Jehovah God brings, how are you interacting with the ordinary means of grace that God has given us in this life? Here's what I mean. Are you enjoying the normal habits, the normal rhythms, the normal means of grace that God has given to all Christians for all time? Are you regularly, this isn't legalistic, this isn't law, God has given us these things as a joy that we might enjoy him through them. He's given us regular means of gathering with the saints of God week in and week out. Are you regularly enjoying the fellowship of brothers and sisters in the body? Are you regularly attending Lord's worship Sunday gathering? Are you enjoying those means of grace that God has given us? Are you inviting other members in the body into your life, sharing with them, serving others, not just thinking about how others haven't served and invited you in, but how are you enjoying those means as God has given us? How are you engaging with the Bible that God has delivered to his people? How are you spending time in God's word through prayer? I ask those questions because we often think this is exactly the way that God, I need you to help me. And we aren't looking at the way that God has already given us help. He's helped us to enjoy himself through these very means. The, Lord, the help that the Lord offers is himself and he's given us simple ways of enjoying him. As you're tempted to scan for help this week, remember those three words, up, 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 up. The Lord is my helper who made heaven and earth. The second truth that we see in this text is that the Lord is my keeper. And you say, Chris, we spent a lot of our time on those first two verses and we still have some more. And here we go, up, up, up. The Lord is my keeper, verse three. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Now this is where the Psalm changes from the first to the third person. Perhaps you noticed that. Some suggest that this particular Psalm of Scent could have been sung as a call and response. The first two verses, one would have sung it and then the congregation, those who would be walking nearby would have sang the other portion. Whatever it was, perhaps it was that or it could have been an internal dialogue that begins happening at the beginning and now shifts in the psalmist, but whatever the case, again, in the ancient Near East, paths would have not been the ones that you and I experience today, most of the time. I don't know if you've been to some of these cities, our friends live in Raleigh, and they have these greenways that connect all their neighborhoods. It's beautiful, it's so cool. And I'm like, why can't we live in a place like that? You know, McDonough, I just, can you fix my sidewalk, you know? 
These greenways connect all the things, but then when you take a step back into the world of, of the past, you think, man, they, they literally were going on, on rocky terrain up towards the city of Jerusalem several times a year, uh, painstaking cost. And so these words meant even more to them than they might mean to us. And the Lord promises that our feet will not be moved. I met with a sister in our body this week who explained that she always believed, she rehearsed that truth that Christ indeed was a firm foundation. We often sing as a people that Christ is the rock on which we stand. We read in the Psalms that God has set our feet upon a rock. He's taken us out of the miry clay and he set us upon this firm place. But my sister said until recently, until actually finding herself on solid ground, she didn't know how assuring it was to stand on something firm. And if we're in the Lord, hasn't he given us that same testimony? It once was rocky. Things seemed to be moving all around and we realized by faith in Christ Jesus that our feet are actually standing firm. I love the closing of the book of Jude. It says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power now and for all time, amen. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you might Remember the story where the prophets of Baal are unable to get their gods to respond. They're able, unable to get him to do anything and Elijah begins to mock them with all kinds of things. But in particular, what's pertinent to our time this morning is that Elijah says, hey, hey, maybe your gods are asleep and they must be awakened. To this we hear verse four. Look there in the text with me. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Pagan gods, you see, need sleep and rest. The things that you scan your life for, that you look to for help, need sleep and rest. You need sleep and rest, but not Jehovah. He never sleeps. He never dozes off. He never gets tired. He never takes naps. He never eats. He never asks or needs of anything. That's our God. He's self-sustaining. And this promise was especially meaningful to a pilgrim who is traveling up those difficult roads where robbers might be lurking around the corner and they might hear, our God, he never slumbers. Our God will keep your feet immovable. In my daily Bible reading, I've been walking through some of the Proverbs right now and I realized just how quickly it is to read those one or two pithy statements and then move on to the next one. And you get halfway down the chapter and you're like, wait, what did I just read? I thought that it was supposed to make sense together. And it's just like, nope, that verse and that verse, none of it is connecting, it seems. And so it's really it's really easy to just kind of forget what you've just read. And I think a verse like this, something that we're vaguely familiar with might just run off the tip of our tongues. 
We stop to forget. We, we seem to forget what God is saying. But what does it really mean? I think it's good that we know that the God of Israel won't sleep. He never slumbers. But what does that really mean? Consider this parable that Spurgeon wrote about in one of his sermons. He said this, a poor woman came to the Sultan one day and she asked for a compensation for the loss of some property. And the Sultan says, how, how did you lose the property? And she responded, I fell asleep. And a robber entered my dwelling as I was sleeping. And he asked, well, why did you fall asleep? She said, I fell asleep, Sultan because I believed that you were awake. The Sultan was so much delighted with the woman's answer that he quickly compensated for her the, the loss of property and more. Family, for the Hebrew traveler, consider on their way to Jerusalem, the relief that such a statement might have brought. It's not that we believe there are no dangers lurking in our life, brother and sister. There are plenty. It's not that we don't believe there are no concerns or worries in this life. There are an abundance of worries and concern. It's not that we believe that work is complete. Work seems to be never complete. There's always more work to do, but we can sleep and rest because we know that we serve a God who never sleeps or rests. He keeps us. In 1996, when I was a young boy, I should be like this. I didn't really grow much. A young boy in 1996, I had the opportunity to go to England and I still, well, I've forgotten so much of that trip and I'd love if I had the privilege to go back one day. I had the privilege to stand in front of Buckingham Palace and see the changing of guards. Now, the way that I viewed that, you would have thought that this was like a once in a lifetime event, but it happens like every day. The changing of the guard, this pomp and circumstance, this symbol of care for the now king and queen is something that happens daily. The people that have been trained their entire life, it seems, to not flinch for a picture or to not even move when something comes their way. This symbol, as beautiful it is, is also a visual reminder that even the most trained watcher, the most trained guard, the most trained keeper has to go off duty. Jehovah God never sleeps or slumbers. What a great truth that is for the Christian. He's keeping us right now. But what is God keeping us from? What is God keeping us in? He certainly isn't keeping us from all pain, is he? No. He's keeping us secure in his love. He's keeping us for his eternal promises. He's keeping us for heaven. Verse five, look there with me. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Verse six, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. In verse four, we see that the Lord is the one who keeps Israel. But here in verse five, there's a shift from the whole of Israel to the very person. The Lord is your keeper. That is a personal detail for you, brother and sister. 
It's not as though the Lord just keeps the congregation. It is not that he just keeps all of his children globally and universally for all time. It's that he keeps and protects you. We see in Colossians chapter one that Jesus himself holds all things together physically, that he's holding you together. He's holding uh, that, the chair together that you sit in today. So there is that physical sense, but here in this verse, we also see it holistically, that we are being held by God himself. Several weeks ago, uh, my daughter, just before bedtime, somehow got this image of a scary monster in her head to which we finally figured out a cartoon that she got it from and we decided no more of that cartoon. But she got this image in her head and she began to just, just go hysterical. Nothing would soothe her, nothing would calm her. I was telling her all kinds of truths about the Bible. I was assuring her of God's ever present help that this certainly was a time of need, that we did not have to look elsewhere for God was there to help us. And she didn't want to have any of it. That monster was in her head and she could see it vividly. She was recounting every picture of it. And so I finally just grabbed her and I held her. Her legs were flailing, her arms were flailing still. And she said, no dad, this isn't helping. The image isn't getting out of my head. I still see the monster and I just held her in my arms. The thing she was hoping for wasn't really the thing that she needed. I held her, I kept her. The Lord who is watching over all his people is intimately involved in the details of your life, Christian. Even if you have forgotten about the God who can help you, even if you have forgotten about the God who can supply you all the help you need in the moment, he is still keeping you. What tremendous news that is. What kindness it is that you are still being held and kept. The, the sun you see was scorching on those roads leading to Jerusalem. The only hope of relief was to, to find a bit of shade. Psalm 91 verse one says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. As, as David welcomed us this morning, as he led our call to worship, he said, perhaps it is you that need the Lord's shade this morning. And it is not as though the Lord only gives us shade in our weakest of areas. Here, we see that the shade is coming to our right hand. The right hand in the Bible signifies what? Strength. God not only supplies great shade, care, protection, guarding, keeping to the areas in which we see where we need it most, he also gives it to us in our most strong areas. Where you, Christian, myself, Christian, where I think I have it all together. He's still keeping me. He's still holding me. He's still protecting me. He gives us shade on our right hand. This was good news for the Hebrew that although they would experience the great heat from the day in the Eastern sun and the dangerous realities that would come by night from the moon, God was protecting them. 
Verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. We aren't guaranteed health. We aren't guaranteed wealth. We aren't guaranteed success in this life, but we are guaranteed for any who trust in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins by faith. We are certainly guaranteed that God will preserve our very souls. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear, Jesus says, those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And we conclude with verse eight. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. There's a, there's a Hebrew idiom for the daily affairs of life. The Lord is saying that he will keep you day by day. One author writes this, the psalmist is so absorbed in the thought of his keeper that he barely begins to name his dangers. With happy assurance of protection, he says over and over again, the one word, which is his amulet against foes and fears. Six times in these few verses, does the thought recur that Jehovah is the keeper of Israel or of the single soul. Spurgeon goes on to say, when we go out in youth to begin life and come out at the end to die, we shall experience the same keeping. Our exits and our entrances are under one protection. How long, Christian, can we count on the Lord's provision? How long can we count on the Lord's protection, keeping? Remember this week, as you begin to scan, where does my help come from? Who is it going to be that keeps me? Who is it going to be that guards me? Remember, by faith. Up, up, up. God is your helper and keeper right now, here and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us a chance to gather as your people. Many of us have heard these things Often, we've been inundated with the truths that you help us, that you keep us. And yet your promise is ever before us. I thank you for the Christian in here. I say with confidence that you've given him or her, boy or girl, man or woman, great faith in their very time of need, in the right moment, when they couldn't do anything themselves. I thank you for the testimony of every Christian universal for all time that said, God, when I needed it most, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know who to look for. He picked me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock and he has not allowed me to move ever since. Though the winds blew, though the storms came, I'm fixed here. I'm being helped by creator God who made heavens and the earth. I'm being kept, I'm being protected. My soul is safe and secure. God, you have even given us your helper, the Holy Spirit to indwell us. 
And we thank you that you don't only help us in our time of need when we recognize it, but you're also giving us shade in the areas of our pride, in the areas of our strength. God, would you help us by faith this week remember when we begin to scan our circumstances, when we begin to look for help, would we remember to fix our eyes up, 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 turn to you by faith. In Christ's name we pray.